The following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motokare Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 709-1000. As we've stated already and will continue to state throughout the book of Romans, the gospel is not only for your salvation, it is for your sanctification. Christ living in me, the hope of glory. I hope that you live knowing that Christ liveth in you. We'll take our scripture reading from Romans chapter 1, verses 16 to 32. Verse number 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that... When they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature, and likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. This is a scripture's reading for this morning. I'd like to start in Psalm 148, and then we come back to Romans chapter 1 in just a moment. So if you want to pull up Psalm chapter 148, we'll read that psalm in just a second. I submit to you that you were created for a purpose. Every single one of us was created for a purpose. And please don't think, well, God created me for this purpose, and that one for the other purpose, and this one for that purpose. 
Instead, God has created every single one of us for the same purpose, and namely, that same purpose that he has created for us is also found in the Westminster Catechism. It comes from 1647. Catechism, don't let that word throw you for a loop, all right? So catechism is a way to teach, especially children, Bible doctrines. And the number one, the first question in the Westminster Catechism, which has been adopted by many churches in the years to follow from the 1600s, the number one question is, what is the chief end of man? In other words, for what purpose do you exist? And the answer is, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That is why God created, if you've ever heard somebody ask, what is the meaning of life? That's the meaning of life. Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The chief end of man is to glorify God. That is the reason He created you. It's the very reason that He saved your soul was so that you would glorify Him and you would enjoy Him forever. Please don't think that that job that you do right now, your career, whether it be 20 years or 30 years, don't think that your career defines you and that everything that you do has everything to do with that career. Or maybe that your fulfillment would be found in your children. No, your fulfillment, the very reason that you were created was to glorify God. And to enjoy Him forever. And so in this life we glorify Him, and in the next life we will enjoy Him while we glorify Him. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through Psalm 148. Here is David writing the psalm, and as he writes, he can't help but glorify God. So let me give you an example of what glorifying God looks like. As I read the psalm, feel free to be vocal about your glorification. So here we are. Psalm 148. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord in the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise ye Him all His angels. Praise ye Him all His hosts. Praise ye Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all ye stars of light. Praise Him, ye heaven of heavens, and ye waters that be above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded, and they were created. He hath established them forever and ever. He hath made a decree which shall not pass. Praise the Lord from the earth, you dragons, and all the deeps, and fire, and hail, snow, and vapor, stormy wind fulfilling His word, mountains, and all the hills, fruitful trees, and all cedars, beasts, and all cattle, creeping things, and flying fowl, king of the earth, and all the people, the princes, and all the judges of the earth, both young men and maidens, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is excellent, His glory is above the earth and heaven. He also exalteth the horn of His people, the praise of all His saints, even the children of Israel, a people near unto Him. Praise ye the Lord. That's what it looks like to glorify God. And here He just went on and unleashed a, a whole tyrant of things. Praise the Lord here and praise the Lord there. Glorify God. That is the reason for which you were created. Nothing else. You were created for that one purpose, and I submit to you this morning that when you stop doing what you were created for, you will head down a spiral that will continue to get worse as God gives up on you. I'll say it again. 
When you stop doing what you were created for, you will head down a spiral as God abandons you. I'll show it to you from the text this morning. Come with me back over to Romans chapter 1 and you can see it. We'll get to this in our exposition this morning, but I want you to see it real quickly in verses 24, 26, and 28 because mankind has his own way of thinking and mankind would want you to think, oh, God won't give up on you. But the Bible says very differently that God will give up on you. See it in verse number 24. Wherefore God also gave them up. Look at verse 26. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. Then verse 28, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. So three times in today's passage we have the statement that God gave them up, and I submit that it is not just a single time of giving up, it is a continual spiral as God continues to give up again and again and again, and you get worse and you get worse and you get worse. And it all has everything to do with you not doing what you were created to do. The chief end of man is to glorify God. He created you for that purpose, and when you decide to walk away from the purpose that God has created you for, you're headed down a spiral, and He'll give you up and let you go. That's a terrifying thing. Natural man has a number of ways of thinking, and I'm sure that I'll give a number of these, and I'm sure that you might be familiar with some of them. Natural man's way of thinking. Natural man's way of thinking. One of the ways that natural man thinks is something like this. He might say, well, I am who I think I am. I am who I think I am. That's a natural man's way of thinking. As I walk through these, you'll, you'll be, yeah, I think I've heard that before. Some very popular phrases, popular ideas that are completely unbiblical. Please don't think that you can just think yourself into the right state of being. You don't get to stand in front of the mirror, and this is what the world will tell you today. Stand in front of the mirror and tell yourself that you're beautiful, so therefore you will be beautiful. It doesn't work that way. You don't get to think, well, I'm good with God, so then therefore I'm good with God. No, 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 you have to come His way. You don't get to just make up your own rules. Another one, I may do bad things, but I'm not a bad person. Man likes to think that because nobody wants to be called a bad person. And yet, Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. The best things that I have to bring to God are nothing but filthy rags in His sight. And so when somebody says, well, sure, I do bad things, but I'm not a bad person, they're trying to hang upon their own goodness, at which point you are grasping at sand. It does not work. Another one. People might say something like this, something is wrong, but it's not my fault. That's the old nature versus nurture argument. There's something wrong, but it's not my fault. In other words, somebody else did something to me, and therefore it's not my fault that I'm a sinner. Hey, listen, every single one of us will stand before God and give account of himself to God. You don't get to stand before God and say, but my mom beat me, or my dad abandoned me, or somebody did me wrong. You don't get to give those excuses. It is your fault. When you stand before God, you cannot bring that excuse for remember what people did to the Savior. If anybody had an excuse to step away from doing what was right and do whatever he wanted to, that was Jesus. As they nailed him to the cross, he had every right to step away from it because they were doing terrible things to him. And you and I have no excuse. Another one that men might say today is morality is relative. Perhaps you've heard that. That 
line of thinking is growing very strong within our current culture. Morality is relative. In other words, what applied to mom and dad and to my boo-boos does not really apply to me. Therefore, I will, and I'm going to use a phrase here, I will shack up with whoever I want to shack up with. Because if it feels good, I'm going to do it. That's modern thinking. And you can see that played out in the way that we use certain terms. The, the term partner is growing by leaps and bounds in the current generation. Meet somebody and they say, well, this is my partner. What happened to this is my wife? This is my husband. Do you know what a partner is? That's who I'm hanging out with today. Morality is relative. That's what man wants you to think. That's not what Scripture says. You see, God makes things very clear in His Word. And there's a certain way to live. It's not objective. You don't get to change it when you want to. It is very much set in stone. Another one, how about this one? What goes around comes around. They might call that karma. So, in other words, if I do enough good things to people, then I'll start having good things come back to me. There is a principle of sowing and reaping, and yet this one is not biblical. Have a look at the life of the Apostle Paul as he went around doing good things and they stoned him. That one kind of throws karma out the window, doesn't it? Be careful. Here's another one. God is a helper in a time of emergency. Now we're starting to talk in Christianese, but we're using the thinking of a natural man. God is not only there as your 1-800 number. You know what I mean? 1-800-100 or 1-800-200. Who knows what 300 is going to be set up for? Uh, He's not your 1-800 number. He's there all the time. He sees every bit of your life. He's not only there for you to call on when you have an emergency. So be careful. You don't get to just last second toss out a Hail Mary to God. He's not there as your get-out-of-jail-free card. Uh, one more and we'll wrap this section up, is God wants me to feel good about myself. That's how natural man thinks. Natural man says, God wants me to feel good about myself. And so the way I've seen that played out in people's lives, yea, even people who claim to be Christians, I've watched that played out as they say, God wants me to be happy and God wants me to be uh, satisfied with myself and I need to feel good with myself. And I've watched as men who claim to be Christians walk away from a wife and children all because they think God wants me to feel good. And they never take a moment and think about the wake of shipwrecks that they leave behind as they feel good about themselves and destroy the people around them. You see, natural man will have his own way of thinking, and yet God has created you for a single purpose, namely to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's why you were created, was to... Glorify Him. And again, I'll tell you that when you stop doing what you were created for, you will head down a spiral as God gives up on you. And that is a terrifying thought. Let's come to Romans chapter 1, verse number 18. We'll walk through our text for this morning. I'll read verses 18 to 20, and we'll make comment on it. Verse number 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath shown it unto them, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. God is angry, 
He's angry about sin. He's created man for the purpose of glorifying him, and yet man has stepped away from that purpose. And man is sinful, and God is angry upon that sin. By the way, as we look at the gospel, that is the very first starting place that you need to start with every time you look at the gospel. That God is angry at sin, and we see that clearly laid out here. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. God does not just overlook sin. He does not just give a free pass to, or just freely forgive. He doesn't say, it's okay, I'll just let you do it. No, he, by his very nature, cannot just dismiss it. His wrath is going to abide upon sin, and specifically sinful men, and it must be paid for. Then as we see into verses 19 and 20, his anger increases because that, verse 19... Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. In other words, men can see that God is there. And how does that happen? You can see it in verse 20. How does it happen that men can see? This is men. This is not just one little corner of men that have heard the gospel that God's angry about. He's angry about every single one of them across the globe, all around the world. Those who have grown up within church, those who have never heard the gospel, those who live in the remotest parts and have grown up in the 1040 window who have never heard about Jesus, God's anger is heaped up upon them and there's a reason, you'll see it in verse number 20, and the reason is this, for the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. In other words, God has given, yes, the very creation as a testimony to His greatness. See it here as He says, the rest of verse 20, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they're without excuse. So every man, woman, and child across the globe is without excuse because all they have to do is open their eyes and see the creation that God has clearly put on display. And he says that in that, he has shown his eternal power and his Godhead. So he's put that on display for all of us to see, and we are without excuse. Even if there's never been a preacher that came and said, Jesus died on the cross, you are still without excuse because you've turned a blind eye to the creation that he's given us. All you have to do, and this applies to every person around the world, all you have to do is think. Now the problem is, man has been thinking and denying God, and we saw seven this morning, seven different ways that man continues to think and deny God. But all they have to do is really, truly, honestly think. That sets us apart, by the way, from the animals. The animals don't think. You look at a pig... The pig is there laying in the mud and the fruit falls down from the tree and all the pig does is sit there or lay there and eat the fruit that fell down from the tree. He never thinks about the fact that he's tearing up the roots of the tree that's given him fruit. He doesn't think. My dog, when I leave from the house, we have two little dogs up there at the house and when I leave from the house, I can be gone for seven seconds or seven hours. It doesn't matter. When I walk back in, they act like I've been gone for seven days. And they're like, oh, we're so happy that you're here. I'm like, hey, buddy, do you just lose track of time when I, just, I leave and you just go, click off, I go. They don't think. Animals don't think. But human beings, God has given us the ability to think. 
So all you have to do is, as a person, open your eyes and think, where did this stuff come from? Now Darwin would have you to think that it came from some globule that just happened to explode billions of years ago, and then that that explosion somehow turned into one-cell amoebas, and then those one-cells turned into two-cells, and then it multiplied and it became a a, a frog, and the frog turned into a snake or... Lizard or something like that, and it turned into a bird, and then it became a dog, and then it became a monkey, and then it became a man. Listen, if you want to say that your grandfather was a silver-backed ape, that's up between you and your grandfather. But that takes a whole lot more faith than let there be light and there was light. So don't say the one has to have faith and the other one we just trust science. Because science says... Never has that ever been replicated. You've never been able to have an explosion from a globule. And never have we watched a silverback ape give birth to a human being. Ever. And we've been watching for that for a very long time. So all we have to do is think. In fact, scriptures say in Psalm 19 verses 1 to 3 that God gave creation as a way for us to see His handiwork. Here it is. This is Psalm 19 verses 1 to 3. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. In other words, all you have to do is walk out at night and look up at the sky. And you will see the night sky day after day and night after night. It is uttering speech. And what is it saying? It is saying God created us and He's pretty amazing. And all you have to do is open your eyes and open your mind and start to think. Because there is no speech nor language where that voice is not heard. 800 languages here in our nation. 16,000 languages worldwide. I can tell you, brothers and sisters, every single language gets this statement. He's the Creator. Pay attention. And He's called us to think. I'll give you a few examples, some illustrations of amazing things that God's put into creation. I don't know if you've ever heard of the bombardier beetle. The bombardier beetle is an amazing little bug. There's about 40,000 different species of bombardier beetles, and they range in size from 5 millimeters up to 30 millimeters. These little guys are something else. Whenever a toad comes along to eat a bombardier beetle, the bombardier beetle has two glands that are located in his abdomen, and when he sees the toad coming towards him, he just turns his abdomen towards the toad, and just about the toad is about ready to swim swallow up the bombardier beetle, the bombardier beetle does this. Within one second, he will send out pulses from those two glands, 500 pulses in a second. And what happens is, on one gland is one chemical, and in the other gland is another chemical. And when those two chemicals shoot out 500 times within a second, those two chemicals mix in the air and become highly toxic and become so hot, their temperature is higher than the boiling point of water. Little dude's been carrying that around in his tummy. (laughs) Bring it on, Mr. Toad. (laughs) Now, could you imagine, if that had to be evolved... I wonder how many times it took in evolution for those two glands to realize that they need to be separated and not together inside of his belly. <laughs> because if they were together inside of his belly, we wouldn't call them bombardier beetles. We'd call them bomb to dud <laughs> They all died on their own exploding beetles. Think about the giraffe. Many of us have seen 
pictures and videos of giraffe out in the African savanna. And the giraffe is an amazing animal, a great big long neck, great big long legs. Uh, the giraffe is something else. It's pretty amazing. When you think about the giraffe, like you see him walking in the savannah, and you think, man, that's pretty elegant, that's pretty amazing. And a lion comes and tries to attack him, and he uses a great big long legs and kick the lion. And my goodness, I don't think I'd ever want to get near a giraffe. I'm afraid he's going to kick me. And yet when the giraffe puts his head down to drink water, he will put his head down to drink water and then he'll pick up his head again and just do it so effortlessly. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Have you ever done this where you bend down and then you stand up real quick and you get real dizzy? You know why that is? It's because your blood just rushed out of your head. So just think about this for just a moment. Why is it that the giraffe, when he leans over and gets a drink of water and he picks up his head, why is it that he doesn't just go, woo, that's and great was the fall thereof. Boom. <laughs> you know why? Because God created the gir giraffe in a very special way. It actually has the largest heart of all the mammals. 12 kgs, 600 millimeters apart. It can, it can hold 55 liters of blood. It will beat 170 times per second, or per minute. That's twice what your heart will beat. Its blood pressure is twice what yours is. And you know why that heart beats so strongly and why the blood pressure is so high? It's because his brain is way up at the top of that neck. And here his heart beats with such great blood pressure to push that blood all the way up to the brain, but then think for just a moment when the giraffe is standing in the Serengeti and he's eating from the top leaves, that blood pressure, that pump is just pushing it so it can fight against the gravity and get the blood all the way to the top. But then he takes just one moment and he goes, hey, there's a drink of water. And he puts his head down. There's enough, physics says that there's enough pressure in there that when he puts his head down, if God doesn't intervene, he's going to explode his brain. And so God put a series of check valves all through that giraffe's neck so that when he takes a drink of water, he never even misses a beat. Drink of water and right back up again. Never misses a beat. Just take a moment and think. He created that. If evolution tried that, we'd have a whole bunch of fainting giraffes going left and right and a bunch of them, when they go to get their drink of water, a whole bunch of them with a and the brains blasted out. And here's God just creating, and He does it with the human brain. Think about your human brain only weighs three pounds and yet controls every bit of your body. If you've never had a brain injury, let me just say this. Tweak your brain just a little bit, and everything gets out of place. You have a hundred billion neurons in your brain, and each one of them has 10,000 connections to other neurons. Constantly, your brain is able to rewire itself. If something goes wrong, your brain will automatically rewire itself. It's an amazing thing. You try to compare, and I'll challenge you, Google this later on, compare the human brain against the greatest computers on earth, and we're talking apples and oranges. They don't even get to be in the same category. And namely, the fact that your brain can rewire itself, and the computer's over there stuck on whatever programming problem came along. They say that if you lose a finger, all of the neurons in your brain that were associated with that finger will then automatically rewire and be associated with the fingers that were beside it. 
So that now all of a sudden, if you can't use that finger anymore, these two fingers on the sides of it now, now know how to do grasping techniques better while that one is missing. Oh, we have an amazing creator God. And you've really got to go to a long length to say, well, my grandfather was a silverback ape. And yet, that's where natural man wants to go. Because natural man does not want God to be there. The very purpose for which you were created to glorify God, if you're not careful, you'll seek other places. And that's what he says is what happens here. You were created for awe, brothers and sisters. You were created for awe. A-W-E. In other words, stand in awe of the awesome God. And here's the proper response. It's found in Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4. When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? O son of man, that thou visitest him. Why do I even have any right to ever be called your son when I think of how magnificent you are in all of your creation? The right response is for me to fall in awe before Him. And then in verse 9, the same chapter, He makes this statement, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is Thy name in all the earth. That's the right response. And yet sinful man continues to push back against God. Look at Romans 1 and verse number 20 again. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping Things And sinful man will turn away from God, and fools will change the glory of God into something that they can create themselves. And you see him make that statement in verse number 22, they think themselves to be wise, but in their own self-professed wisdom, they're nothing but fools. And the way that that is played out is in verse 23, as they change the image of the uncorruptible God into an image of four-footed beasts, And man, birds, and creeping things. How stupid is it for man to turn from an almighty God and try to instead worship the creation, yea, even the creation that they themselves have made. I think back to the book of Exodus. The nation of Israel, the people of Israel had just come out of the Red Sea, come out of bondage under Pharaoh, and they're now at Mount Sinai. you remember that? God is up on the mountain, thunder and lightning. Moses is there with the tablets of stone, and God is writing the Ten Commandments on the stone. Moses is up there for 40 days, and after 40 days, the people come to Aaron. Aaron is at the ground, down at the base of the mountain with the people. The people come to Aaron and they say, hey, we don't know what happened to that Moses guy. Dude went up the mountain, never came back. We don't know what happened to him. Like, I'm just wanting to say, hey, stop guys and think for just a minute. Look up on the mountain, thunder and lightning. God called Moses to go up there. Don't worry, he'll be back. But instead, they turn to Aaron and they say, we would like a God that we can see and we can worship right now. Aaron, the high priest of the nation of Israel, 
says to the people, get all your gold earrings and bring them to me. I'll do something special with them. And they bring all this gold and Aaron makes a golden calf and tells the people, this is what brought you out of Egypt. How foolish. How foolish. Is it the golden calf? Is it somehow a cow made the Red Sea depart? Is it somehow the cow sent along the ten plagues? Absolutely not. And yet, the nation as a whole came and worshipped before this golden cow. What a mess. God, up on the mountain, sees everything. And God's anger was unleashed. Let me read for you. This is Exodus chapter 32, verses 7 to verse 10. Verse number 7 says, The Lord said unto Moses, Go, get you down for my people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They've turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it. And they've sacrificed thereunto. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I've seen this people, and behold, they are a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. So here's what God said up on the mountain. He says, fine, they want to turn their backs on me. I'll just consume them and be done with them. And the next verses that follow, Moses pleads with God on the nation's behalf. God, would you show mercy upon them? And God only slays 3,000. And may I just pause for just a moment? 3,000. And that was merciful. For he was going to wipe out 2 million. You see, God does not play around with us turning from an uncorruptible God to corruptible things like four-footed beasts, like a golden calf. And oh, we might somewhat internally, we might laugh or chuckle at someone who would worship an idol that they made with their own hands, and yet, oh, how true is the fact that every one of us is prone to making our own idols. Maybe it'll take on the shape of a Buddha. I doubt that's happening here, but maybe it does. Or maybe it'll take on a different shape. Something like covetousness. As I look at what somebody else has, and oh, I've got to have that. And my heart begins to worship. You ready? Worship that. Or lust. I'm going to see someone, and I want them instead of me wanting God. Maybe it's pride. I look at myself, and I become my own idol. Oh, God has no place for man to turn his back on the Creator and look to other things for sufficiency. And I think of the greatest insult as man took the very creation of God. You see, God created the trees. God put iron ore in the ground. On the day that Adam was created, he had no idea that there was such a thing as iron ore in the ground. And yet God had put it there for a reason. And man, in his own wisdom, as man learned how to smelt iron, man made nails, and man made hammers. And man took the trees, and made a cross, and nailed the Creator to his own creation. God's anger, his wrath is revealed against sinful man. Can we have in our minds the image of God's wrath heaping up? 
He has every right to because we as his creation continually turn our backs on him. And can I say it again? When you stop fulfilling the purpose for which you were created, you will go down a spiral as he abandons you. Here we go down the spiral. Verse number 24. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And here's Paul, just in one little moment, a doxology is going to lift up the Lord's name in the middle of a terrifying passage. At the end of verse number 25, he says, The Creator is blessed forever. And all of these things that I'm going to say from verse 18 to verse 32 are terrifying things, but I can't help but just lift up God's name in the middle of this. And that's what he just did. The Creator is blessed forever. Amen. But then what is the rest of it that he says? Verse 24 and verse 25, God gave them up to the uncleanness of the lusts of their hearts. In other words, they want to believe their own lie. That's what he said in verse 25. They changed the truth of God into a lie. They want to believe their own lie. And they've worshipped and served the creature more than they did the creator. So God just gives them over to it. He lets them have it. In other words, if you want to believe a lie, God will let you have the lie. You want to turn away from him, he'll let you have it. You were created for a purpose... Glorify Him. And yet, if you're going to believe a lie, He'll turn you over to it, and you begin the spiral. See verse 26, the spiral continues. For this cause God gave them up into vile, unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error which was Meet. And this downward spiral starts off by man not glorifying God and not being thankful. And then he knocks down God and replaces him with an idol. And then God just gives him over to it. And then sin doesn't bother him. And he continues to go down the spiral. And he has unclean lust in his heart. And God gives him over to that as well. God giving you over should be a terrifying thought, friend. It's a loss of affection I see in verse number 20, uh, 26 as the women did change the natural use. It's a loss of affection for their own children. Verse number 27, men leaving the natural use of women and burned in their lust one towards another. That is sensual. We would call that homosexuality. He says those sins are a result of a downward spiral. Friend, I'm not the one that gets to make up this stuff. I'm just bringing it from the Word of God. And I'm going to tell you that today's culture would tell you we need to be more tolerant. Guys, I'm going to tell, I'm, I'm going to tell you the truth here. Thus saith the Lord, homosexuality is sin. Adultery is sin. Fornication is sin. Pornography is sin. Sex outside of marriage is sin. Even if it's your partner. Even if it's your partner. Because if it's not your spouse, it's sin. And then he says, verse number 27, that God has turned them over to their lust. He says in the end of the verse, verse 27, he says, receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. In other words, there is a principle of sowing and reaping. And if you live in this downward spiral and you continue to go down this downward spiral, there will be your sowing... And there will be reaping to be had. And as you go further down the spiral, you continue to sow more, and you will reap more. 
Notice the words that he uses in verse 27. Receiving in themselves that recompense of their error. In other words, that which they have sown, they're going to start receiving it. And oh, have a look at people that you might know or have heard about who have gone down that spiral and think of what rewards they have received for what they've sown. Be careful, though, as we look at others in the spiral for comparing ourselves with ourselves. We are not wise. Have a look and see where the spiral leads to and then look at yourself and go, wait a minute, I don't want God to give up on me. There's three possible outcomes. I've shared this with you before in past times, church. I hope that this passage will help us to see it at an even deeper level. There are three possible outcomes with when you're messing around with sin. If you're dabbling in sin, there are three possible outcomes. One, you can confess and forsake it. And that's beautiful. For if we confess our sins, He's faithful and He's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So that's the first and most beautiful option. You can confess it and forsake it. Second one, you can continue in your sin and God will expose you. And that's mercy. It's the grace of God upon your life if He exposes your sin. You say, but that's a terrifying thought. No, there is a more terrifying thought. And that terrifi- the most terrifying thought is the third option, is that God would abandon you and give you over to your own sin. And the very last thing that I ever want to see happen in your life or mine is for God to give you over to your sin. For there is a principle of sowing and reaping. And as you go down further, it will get worse and worse. Oh, I hope that you will confess your sin. Look at verse 28 as he goes to the third. And this is the one that I think is the worst in the spiral. Verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. He gave them over to a reprobate mind, a castaway mind, a rejected mind. In other words, God says it like this. You don't want to retain me and your knowledge? Fine. I'll give you a mind that can't even handle me anymore reprobate, cast away. I've abandoned you. I've abandoned you. I've abandoned you. Done. In other words, you can't even try to get your way out of this. Your mind will be so far gone from God that you will not see a single glimpse of hope. He will give you over to a reprobate mind, cast away, rejected. And now we'll see in verses 29 to 31 what kind of sin just flows out of a, of a life given over completely to sin. Here's verse 29. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. And that sounds like just about every popular TV show and movie that you've seen in any time recently as you watch manifold sinfulness of man just be placated in front of the world as God has given up, given them up and given them up and given them up. Now, Paul's going to finish this introduction to a sinful state with verse number 32. He's going to use these words, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, 
but have pleasure in them that do it. That's the worst, absolute worst place to be. It's not just that they've given themselves over to sin and God's abandoned them. Now, not only do they enjoy doing sin, they enjoy watching others do sin as well. And all the while, the words that he uses there at the beginning of verse 32, knowing the judgment of God. So all the while, man knows there's going to be a payment for sin. All the while, knowing that it's going to cost me, there will be sowing, knowing it and sitting back and watching as somebody else joins in in sin and smiling about it. If your heart is right with God and you see somebody else sin, it should break your heart. And yet he says, the epitome of being at the bottom of your sinfulness is the moment when you can look at somebody else sinning and you can enjoy their sin. This is a terrifying thought as God gives them over. And this is every single person. He's not speaking only to one person here or one person there. Every single one of us is possible to fall into this. Now, let me close with a statement that I just gave a glance at in verse number 18. Come back to verse number 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness in men, and here's the phrase, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. You know who God's angry the most at? People that have the truth and yet live in unrighteousness. We hold the... Brothers and sisters... Our lives should be different because we hold the truth. The wrath of God is revealed and He will give up on those who do not fulfill the reason for which they were created to glorify God. You stop glorifying God, He's going to see you as living your own life. Okay, I'll give you up. Oh, that's a terrifying place to be. Several years ago, our girls, we took our girls on a trip across the United States. It was memorable. We enjoyed it. Our girls were probably 10, 11 years old, something like that at that time. We went across. We saw the Grand Canyon. It was amazing. Uh, we came through Las Vegas, sinful city. The lights, oh my goodness, it was a beautiful place filled with sinful people. One of the highlights that stood out to me was the Hoover Dam. Now, if you've ever been up to Sirnumo, or you've been to Yonkey, you might understand this. The dam and how big a dam is. Amazing. The Hoover Dam blew my mind. The Hoover Dam stands 221 meters tall. 200, we can't even fathom that. It's right in the middle. There's two mountains on each side. It's a big gorge that goes down for the Colorado River. And right there in the middle of this gorge, they put a massive amount of cement, 221 meters tall. And also, by engineering, they've made it 221 meters thick at its base because they've got to hold back all of that water. So we're talking 221 meters thick. When you count up, calculate all of the concrete that's in just that one dam, it's 4.5 million cubic meters. If we take our largest cement truck, that's a nine cubic cement truck, the largest one we have in the city, it'll take 500,000 of those trucks to fill up the concrete to make the Hoover Dam. That's mind-boggling. But that day as we stood there, I looked at all of the amazing engineering 
They let you go inside of it. You can go inside of it and tour it. It is a phenomenal thing. You go inside of the dam, and the only thing I could think of was, my goodness, if this dam broke. I kept thinking about that. And I thought about, could you imagine the day that they shut the dam off for the very first time? Now, I'm sure that they had told everybody upriver that this was going to happen. I don't think it was a surprise, right? And so I can just imagine as they shut the dam off and closed it off and allowed the water to build up in the reservoir. Some of us might remember the history of the Yonkey Dam when that happened. And so you can just imagine as the water built up in the back... And there were all of these little nooks and crannies and crevices and caves in the side of the hills as the water just went in there and filled up every little spot. Massive amount of water that's back there. Filled it up. And that dam held it back. And as I stood there that day, I looked back across that water and the sentence that went through my mind was, the wrath of God is revealed upon sinful men. For you realize that if that Hoover Dam cracks and breaks, the devastation, it will literally flood Las Vegas and wipe people out. The wrath of God is heaped up, and there's coming a day when He will release it, and it will flood upon men. Brothers and sisters, oh, be very careful that you do not push back against the very thing for which He has created you. Glorify Him. So don't stand on the downhill side of the dam and say, Hey, look, I'm good to go because I'm so special. Don't get some kind of man's way of thinking. Oh, God's there to help me out and He wants me to feel good about myself. No, no, no. The right response is to stand off to the side, look at His anger, and be absolutely thankful for the cross. For God has poured out His wrath upon the cross of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would help us to never take for granted the grace of God. Your mercy is beyond fathom. Lord, I pray that we would not push back against your grace. Thank you for sending Jesus to take our place, for we could never bear that ourselves. And Lord, I pray that we would never stop glorifying you. Because God, I don't want to be abandoned by you. It's in your beautiful name I ask these things. Amen. Love you, church. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Matt Allen of Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We would love to have you join us for service if you are in the area. If you need help with transportation, please give us a call on 709-1000. Again, it's 709-1000.